Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. A great passage. Good morning. My name is Jim College. I'm part of the staff. If you've been here for any length of time, you know, I've typically said that, but I guess I should quit pretending uh, that I haven't been here for a long time. Uh, I've been here for over four decades. And if you're going, well, how can you still keep standing? Well, they put sticks down my pants. No, that's not true. Uh, so welcome. If, you're, if this is your first time, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, if you've been coming and being part of this church and invested your energies and your, your resources, and I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your gifts, your abilities, your talents. I want to thank you. For those of you who are over in East Hall, thank you for being here. And I hope this morning that you were able to listen to what God has to say. Yesterday uh, and Friday... As Joe has already said, there were over 500 men here for a men's summit. And I was, I'm still kind of living on the adrenaline. If, and, and listen, ladies, I love you. I'm grateful for you. Uh, grateful for you, what you invest here. You have influenced lives that you will never know. I could name still six women when I was a boy that influenced me. Even though I, I turned my back on the church, but their voices continue to ring, so thank you. But let me say this. When you're standing where I was yesterday and you hear over 500 men's voices singing, it is overwhelming. There is a power in that, and that's why as I, I reach this old age, I have such great hope for the church, for this church. When we started it in 1981 with a handful of people, having a dream that God might do something that would bring a gospel witness to, to Hudson and to Northeastern Ohio, there is there's something of your life is poured into that. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that, but when God brings to this place men like Joe Coffey and now Zach Wyrock, it thrills me. It makes me look forward, it makes me, it makes me wanna live long and just, just soak it all in. So now my turn, and for the life of me, I don't know why the leadership here would say, Jim, speak on Friday, speak on uh, Saturday. Oh, and by the way, do Thursday night service and then do the three on Sunday. So if there are any physicians here, particularly if I collapse, do whatever you need to do. But if I'm close to death, let me go. The Apostle Paul in, 
in Colossians chapter three is, it's a book that deals with the preeminence of Christ. It deals with, with all that he has done in calling people into his presence. And then as Paul moves through that heavy theological section in chapters one and chapters two, he gets into chapter three and he begins to, to translate that into the, the practical application for our lives. And what I want to talk about this morning is actually how you and I together in corporate worship help one another listen to God. You have a vital part of that. And there are several ways to do it. If you like, if you have, want to have some thoughts or a, a, a few words to hang your thoughts on, let me just give you this. Paul deals, I think, with with establishing, or shall I say, creating the right environment in the first part of this passage. And then he speaks about the right atmosphere. There's a slight difference from environment to atmosphere. Environment is something that we can create by our very presence. The atmosphere is something that exudes. It's the, what I think some of the, my grandchildren call the vibe. I have no idea what that is, but it sounds good. And then the method by which we help one another listen. Early on in this passage, and it was read well, the short one, there is, there is something that happens early in verse five when Paul writes this, put to death therefore because of all the truth that is before, because of everything that has come before, because of who Jesus is, what he has done in your life, through your life, he says, now put to death. I'm a hoarder. I keep stuff. I have t-shirts that, that, that bring back such pleasant memories of preseason workouts for football. And I was a lot smaller then, but I still have them. And my wife, Barbara, will pick them up and she'll go, Jim, it's time to get rid of this. I'm, oh, no, not that. She says, when's the last time you wore it? I said, I think when I was 19. <laughs> Burn it. What I, I, I've actually given her instructions. I said, listen, when I'm not around, clean out anything you want. Just don't let me know it because if I know where the stuff is, I'm gonna pick it back out. What Paul is saying here is something much more important. He says, put to death, burn up all this stuff, all the things like, like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and he goes on. But then, then he comes to verse 12 and he says this. Let me read it for you. He says, put on then. It's an imperative. An imperative in the, in the grammar is is not a suggestion, it's, it says do this. When my girls were young, I have three daughters, they're grown now, they have children of their own. When I was given the, the chore of dressing them, that's always a dangerous thing for a, a father of girls to do. So I just say, I just go to your room, put something on, we're just not going out naked. And which pretty much worked. But there were times when my wife Barb would say, Jim, now we're, we're going here, I need you to lay out what I've told you to lay out, that's an imperative. But then my imperatives would say, this is what you're gonna put on. There's no ifs, anders, or buts, no choices here. You can't go through your closet, you can't pull out the bib overalls, you're putting on this frilly little dress. 
And that's an imperative. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, now, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other's, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word, and it's true. And so today, let's take a look at these three things, these three things that God says to put on or to create. The right environment, the right atmosphere, and then to use the right method. He begins this way when he says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. Let's stop there just for a moment. We don't have time to deal with predestination and election today, but you cannot get away from it. God chooses. And the emphasis is not on the one not chosen. The emphasis is on the one chosen for his purposes. So know this, if you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has chosen you. You didn't choose him. You didn't someday come to your senses and go, you know, I think it'd be a good idea to follow Jesus. No, not at all. He chose you and drew you to himself. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 6, verse 44, when he says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And the word used there to draw is a, is a really strong term. It's like picking up and throwing it in the back of a pickup truck. God draws you. Now you're saying, well, you know, I haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ. Does that mean I'm not chosen? Whoa, hold it. Why do you think you're here? And then you're doing an argument right now with me. You're going, huh, I just came because my wife made me or my mother told me I had to go. No, you're here because God is using them to draw you to himself. So just so you know, just so you know, I believe God is choosing you. Therefore, you might as well give in today. I mean, you're coming, either the easy way or the hard way, you're coming. So just give in. You know it, I know it. We can talk about it later. <laughs> so guys, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, here's what you need to put on. This is, this is the, the character that he wants you to have. First of all, a compassionate heart. That, has, that, is, a, that is sensitivity or pity for another, not just because you're supposed to, but because you can feel it. Maybe not to the intensity that that person in their suffering is feeling, but you can feel it and you can walk alongside them. You can weep, really weep with them as they weep. Additionally to that is to kindness, which is, is simply moral goodness that, that enables a person to behave friendly toward another. Just being kind. 
Even when you, sometimes it's hard, and humility, oh my goodness, that's a posture, that, that's part of this, this posture of having this understanding that people have great worth, they are created in the image of God. And it doesn't say that we're to think less of ourselves, but not to think more of ourselves. Humility is an interesting thing, the opposite of it is arrogance. And one of the worst things we can practice is spiritual arrogance, where we think we're better than someone else. I'm not. I'm not less than, I'm not more than. Together we make each other better. Alone, we can't hear God clearly, even when he calls us, calls us out on things like arrogance rather than humility. Meekness, another word for that is gentleness. I'm a pretty big guy. If you have a, a young child that's... Uh, maybe eight, nine, or 10, they get much older than that. I can't move as fast. But if you ten, bring one of those two, it not, would not be hard for me to take them out. <laughs> and I wouldn't want to do that for a lot of reasons. First of all, because I love you and I love them because they're part of you. But the other part, I don't want to be arrested. The thing is, though, <laughs> is because of this strength, this size, I can use that power that I have in gentleness or meekness. In other words, for the purpose of protecting and providing for, that's what he's calling us to. And then patience, that's self-control. Not so much of just enduring something, but that's patience. And when circumstances are such that it might just draw out the anger in you. Patience will temper that, it will govern that. So creating that environment is partly shown in the right character, but it's also shown in the right attitude, which is bearing with one another. The word there that's often used is to tolerate. That's, I don't like that word in the, in the structure, in the, in the particular context, to tolerate, because tolerate sounds like, well, okay, I just, I, I just gotta put up with you, because you're such a waste. Uh, it's more than that. It's bearing with one another. It's, it's coming along even when, even when it gets hard, even when it's, it's something that is, is hard for you. But you say, no, I'll help you carry that. I'll walk with you. You begin to demonstrate something of the character, the attitude of Jesus. And then, of course, forgiving, just like Jesus forgave you. By the way, forgiving is not necessarily forgetting, but forgiving is this. It's not hanging on to that forgiveness so that someday you can say, oh, by the way, you owe me because I forgave you. When you forgive, Zach did a wonderful job with this last week as he described learning forgiveness from his wife. That creates an environment that allows for vulnerability. By the way, men you were, who were here yesterday, that's, that environment was created here, if you remember. Forgiving each other. And above all this, wrap it in love. Wrap it up all in love. Take, take that love that, that, is, that consumes, every, that looks for the good, for the right, for the protective, for the, the safety of another. I love what 
Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 when he says that love covers a multitude of sin. I think sometimes in our age, particularly with social media, and I don't want to pick on that, I don't want to make that become the, the major issue, but oftentimes what happens is we say things from a distance, from a protection where we attack people. And sometimes we even go after people right in, right in front of their face instead of, of protecting, instead of covering with love. That's what, Peter, what Peter's saying in his letter, that love covers a multitude of sin. Oh yes, there are times when sin, when wrong needs to be exposed. It needs to be called out. It needs to be repented of. It needs for people to say, I, I will forsake that, I will go the other way. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that we are to expose it to the world. Over my over four decades of pastoral ministry, I've said I've had people, I have a lot of people who are experts in ecclesiology, so they come to me and they tell me how the church and pastoral ministry ought to be done. And there's part of me, quite frankly, that wants to go, oh yeah? I'll tell you what, follow me around for a week. Deal with the stuff that I deal with. But what they wanna do is they wanna go, that person's bad, let's show everything to a, a, an entire congregation. Let's make sure that it's exposed. What Peter is saying and what Paul is saying is love overcomes all of that. It's like a blanket that you wrap around the person to protect them from, from the attack, from the cold, from the exposure that makes no sense whatsoever. Now, please, please, please do not leave here saying that, oh, Pastor Jim said it's okay to excuse sin. No, I am not saying that. What I am saying, what I am saying is there are times where that calls someone to both confession and repentance and going the right direction, and then that's all that needs to happen. Not for someone else to be saying, yeah, I always knew that guy was wretched. So we create the right environment so there's vulnerability, so we can hear, so we can, we can be open to listen instead of guarded in case something touches my very soul. But then, in verse 15, Paul writes this, and let, stop there, let. That is not a word of permission. That is a word of getting out of the way. Do you understand the difference? It's not about me saying, okay, Lord, you can do what you want. It's me going, I'm just gonna get out of the way because God, you're about to do something amazing in my life or in her life or in his life and I'm just gonna get out of the way. And Lord, if you need to pick me up and use me as the right tool at the right time for the right purpose, that's fine. But I need to create this atmosphere where God can use me. So get out of the way. He goes on to say, let the peace of Christ rule in, in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The word rule is the one, the, it, it's actually can be translated umpire. It's the one who makes the decisions. 
When umpires meet, when baseball season begins, umpires will meet at home plate, usually with the managers, and they'll discuss, depending on the ball field they're in, whether it's little league, uh, high school, scholastic, college, or the professionals, they meet at home plate and they discuss the ground rules. And the umpire makes sure that all, both managers and the rest of his team understand what the rules are. Paul is saying, let the peace of Christ be the umpire. And the peace of Christ is that which comes from a relationship with Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter five, verse one, that, that we being justified have peace with Christ. And it's not a matter of having the absence of any conflict or disturbance around us. Listen, we live in a world cursed by sin. We live in a world that sin creates selfishness, a world that, that sin creates the disease, there's all kind of things that don't give us the kind of settledness, but in Christ, there is a settledness deep inside that becomes so what we're doing, we're creating an atmosphere that is safe, that is secure, a place that is settled down. That's what we provide. If I may, my wife provides that for me. She did for our family. One of, the, one of the greatest places for me ever to go, even today, is home. Home. And quite frankly, and honestly, the second place is here. <laughs> Not because there, there aren't conflicts. There may be some right now. You, you may be sitting beside somebody that you just want to punch in the face. Please don't do it here. <laughs> but this is that place. With, with all the frailties, this is that place. Let the peace, let create this atmosphere so that, that it's consistent with the very nature of Jesus. Jesus even told his disciples, right? He said, listen, you have trouble? Don't think you're not gonna have it. They're coming after me. They'll come after you. But there are places, and we can help do that, where we can then have a time where we are simply at peace and we can hear, we can listen to what God is saying. Why well, need to hurry along? The last thing I want to talk about is the method. The method that you and I use in order for each of us to listen to God more clearly. Here's what he says. It was read to us. I read it as well. Let the word of Christ, all that it's, that's the gospel. That's the gospel that reminds us that we, were, we are fallen creatures because of the entry of sin. It reminds us that we need a savior and that God in his great love sent Jesus Christ here to live among us, but not just to set an example, but to die on Calvary's cross to make atonement for your sin and for mine, but even better than that, to be raised from the dead so that we might have the hope of eternal life through faith in him. Let that 
dwell richly in you, among you, individually. Guys, men, if you were here, you heard me tell you in those, those alone times, in that sacred time where you sit with your Bible and your journal and you are reminded of, of God's work in your life. And once that overwhelms you with all wisdom, wisdom is simply the insight into the practical application of knowledge. You can learn all you want, but if wisdom doesn't, isn't applied to it, it's lost. So with all of that, do these things. Teach well, worship well, serve well. Teach well. Teaching is informing. And you do that by telling the truth. It's instructing by applying the truth. And it's demonstrating by living the truth. But then he says this, and this, if anything, if you hear anything in the few seconds I have left, hear this, worshiping well. There are three ways to do that. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. There are three different things. Psalms declares what God does and how he acts. Hymns conveys what God is like. In fact, in the early church, do you know that one of the hymns they sang was Colossians chapter one, verses 12 through 17. It was a hymn. It declares what God is like and in spiritual songs express our feelings and emotion. It flows out of us. Listen, I can't sing a lick. I'm a lousy singer. But I'll tell you what, when you hear 500 men's voices, and by the way, even this morning, I could hear your voices just like a, like a waterfall over, and it made me lift my own, and I still have to preach one more time. I need my voice. <laughs> but it's gotta come from here. It's gotta come from here with an understanding of what you're declaring through music. The things that we sing are the things that we remember and then serve well, invest yourself. The gifts, leverage what you have, use it, don't hold it back. Whether it's money, whether it's the ability to, to show mercy, whether it's compassion, whatever it is, invest it all for the sake of the glory of Christ so all of us together can hear him, can listen to him and respond to him. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your call on our lives. And God, I pray that the few words that were said here in such a hurry will drive deep into each of us. Begin with me, God. And make us more like Jesus. And I pray it in his name. Amen.